Hello and welcome everyone. This is Kingdom in Context and I am Sean and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Lindsay. Hey guys, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, sweetie. Shabbat Shalom, babe. Um, thank you everyone for joining us today. We're going to be doing just kind of a, a Sabbath fellowship hangouts like we tried a few weeks back, kind of review some of the scriptures, read them over a little bit, and then we're going to take some questions for the latter half of this video. So yeah, um, big shout out to everyone that uh, um, has continued to send us supportive prayers. And uh, we just thank you so much, as well as I just remind everybody to download the Kingdom of Context app. It's free in the Google Play and Android store. That way you can get notified. Did you get the notification when I sent out for this today? I did. Nice. And I both pushed on my phone and in my email. Nice. So guys, that's, that way you can stay in touch with us because we cannot rely on, on YouTube or any of these other platforms right now um, to accurately tell people when we go live or when we have a new video that went out. So yeah, make sure to download that. We also have, I think we almost have like seven or 800 people on the Fellowship Finder now. So that's, that's exciting awesome. all around the world. I think we have maybe 600 in the U.S. alone. So that's exciting. Also, put a one in the chat, everyone, if you can hear us well, if the mic settings are proper. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we're excited that people are using that. And we've already had some testimonies. People that have found in the Colorado Springs area, they found some other people on the Fellowship Finder and got together and had fellowship. Yay, that's so, awesome. Yeah, for Sabbath. So that's great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so you guys make sure, download the app. And, and we actually have... Um, I think as of tomorrow, I'm supposed to get the new release and I'll be testing that for people to be able to reply to comments on the community board and on the articles that we write. So you guys can talk to each other on their app coming soon. <laughs> so we're excited about that. Um, he started this app and he started talking about comments and replies to comments. And I'm like, I thought you said you didn't want to start your own social media. <laughs> no, it's it's not because there's no news feed and there's no groups. Yeah. I mean, it's just basically it's like we created our own app so that we can just have contact with folks. But yeah. Um, even in old social media, like old uh, 1.0 internet, people could, you know, comment on an article and then reply to each other and, yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. So I'm just trying to make it interactive for folks. Um, and I want to be able to comment to people's to people's comments, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and know that they get notified that I'm responding to them on the app. So there's a lot involved because people sometimes have great questions that they have about scripture. Um, I just wanted to invite anyone uh, with prayer needs to drop them in the chat. I say this every week, but um, you can replay the chat later on if you're not watching this live and people's prayer requests will be in there indefinitely until YouTube takes us down. So um, drop those in the chat, anything that you need. Also, last week we um, gave a shout out to a fundraiser going on for our brother Richard Kraut. He is dealing with um, cancer and uh, the link for that is in last week's video. It's in the video description oh, this week. It's in this video this week. He's looking to get treatment outside of the United States down in Mexico, um, but it is pretty expensive. So you can go check out that fundraiser and we'll just be shouting that out for a few more weeks for him because he is trying to reach a pretty high goal. So um, if you are feeling moved to help someone in the body financially this week, that would be a great place to go to help. Yep. Um also, uh, just as a general premise, just as a general blanket statement, you know, just um, keep in mind, folks, that, you know, the Fellowship Finder is great, but, um, you know, don't be offended if, if you reach out to people and they just don't have time or they, you know, who knows what's going on in their life. They may have put their information up and then start going through a divorce and then suddenly feel like they don't want to talk about it. And so then suddenly they're like not trying to, not trying to have fellowship for the next few months because they're trying to recoup and 
figure out, you know, their life at this moment. So try not to be offended if someone doesn't immediately respond to you off the fellowship finder. I put it in a way that where people could not have to put their specific location. Yeah. So like you can just put the general area that you're in because some people don't, you know, they've got, they've got, you know, uh, issues in the past where they've been attacked, they've been traumatized, they've been, you know, if they got stalkers, there's a whole bunch of different reasons that people may not want other people to know, especially people that never met in real life before to know their, their exact location. So the way we, we uh, designed the fellowship finder is that you can place the, the pen in the general location that you want uh, to hopefully experience some fellowship. And if I'm get, assuming that person lives in that area. So it's just like, it's a, but I told him, I don't want it to, you know, like have to use their physical address to yeah. pinpoint their house or their apartment because that's just too in, intrusive and, and there's no privacy. So that's why there's two options. You can upload your phone number or your email and you can place the pin wherever you want, but you don't have to put on your phone number. So that way, if they just want to filter requests through their email, they may want to do that. So please keep that in mind. Um, and in the future, we're even going to have verification for usernames as well. So they can be a little bit more trusted. Um, and I personally would be verifying the people. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, it's, that's coming down the pike. But um, so that way, just keep in mind right now, just um, help us grow it. Share, share more people to join on the app. We're actually um, this week or next week, we're still working. We're still talking and working on it with the developers. But um, Adam from Parable of Benyard, he's going to be joining our map. So he's got his own fellowship finder map. I think they have about 3000 people on it. And so we're going to combine the maps in a unique way. So I, I wrote the code so that I could give it to him um, and he could actually use it on his site as well. So I'm not sure exactly how they're going to integrate it yet, if they're going to combine it, if they're going to replace the map they have, or if they're just going to add a second map that's like a mutual ministry map below the current map they have. And then it'll show all of the Kingdom and Context people on that map as well. And then when you jump on the Kingdom and Context app, it'll show all the Parable of Vineyard people all around you as well. So we're excited about that. Um, we got a lot going on with that. So just keep keep us in your prayers that we get all that completed. <clears throat> but uh, I think we wanted to talk about the Psalms today. Or yeah, really, well, we, we wanted to read, read a, a Psalm yeah. talking about um, the promise of the future, the promise mm -hmm. of our inheritance, the promise of the covenants. Like we, we put our faith in Christ. What does that mean? Yeah. Right? When you say, oh, I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith and through Jesus Christ. You're like, okay, that's awesome. So what does all that mean? Like for you, the average person that's listening. Yeah. And actually the Psalms are, um, they've become immensely more exciting to me um, since coming to understand the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom, the promise of the resurrection, the city, um, all those kind of things. So as I read through the Psalms, they just come so much more alive than they ever did before I understood the gospel of the kingdom. So this one in particular that we're going to read, I picked out because it was one of those that I never, it never registered with me until reading it, you know, two years ago <clears throat> with the idea of the new Jerusalem in mind and our resurrection, that it was one of those that I got kind of excited about to realize, oh my gosh, how did I not notice this before? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun one. It really is. Do you want me to read it? Or do you want to read it? I don't think that's going to work. I can pull it up on my phone. No. I, what are you talking about? Like, I have it here on screen. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't have to scroll for it. Scroll down through it for me. Okay. Now we can. That's fine. All right. So this is Psalm 87. All right. He has founded his city on the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. 
Glorious things are ascribed to you, O city of God. I will mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me, along with Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, when I say, This one was born in Zion. And it will be said of Zion, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will record in the register of the peoples, This one was born in Zion. Singers and pipers will proclaim, All my springs of joy are in you. It's beautiful. Man, there's... I got some things I want to talk about right after that. So much there, right? And it's just a short little, short little psalm. Um, I love right off the bat, verse one, he tells you, He, that's Yahweh, that's that's uh, the Almighty, He has founded His city on the holy mountains. Yeah. So if this is not very obvious that this is Revelation 21, Mm -hmm. one through three, holy city coming down, also verse nine and 10, the holy city, the, the mountain of God called the bride that comes down and this is what is founded on the mountains and Yahweh establishes this. Yes. Yeshua is going to be the king of that city. Right. He's the high priest of that city. He's the son of God who rules in the authority of the almighty uh, that's been given to him. And so we will revere, we will look to Yeshua as God because of right. the respect we give him, but we will also know that there's a father and son inside the city. Right. Right. So I think it's fascinating that, before Yeshua enters the, the scene, so to speak, we have Yahweh talking about this is my city mm-hmm. and I'm going to be the one that founds it. Right. So not only in verse one right here, he says he will found his city on the mountains. So this is just what Abraham looked for in Hebrews 11, right. a, a heavenly country, a city whose architect and founder is God, is Yahweh. But then he also says down here and the most high himself will establish her. Yep. So this is like, oh, man, this is powerful. Um We'll see you. Um, while going back up to that first um, verse, it's well, the third verse, I guess I would say. I just love that this is something I overlooked for so long until Sean came into my life, of course. But this is speaking directly to the city. So when we get into this um, ongoing discussion slash debate about who is the quote unquote bride, um, everybody forgets that Zion is personified throughout the Old Testament and actually personified from a female standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll notice that the city is being called her later on in this passage. And a lot of passages that are actually talking about and to Zion get mistakenly ascribed to us as believers today. I think one of the most popular ones is um, no weapon formed against you shall prosper from mm-hmm. is it Isaiah 54. Yes. Verse 13. And a lot of people, and now that's an encouraging verse. I don't want to take away the encouragement of the verse, applying it to our own walk. But the reality is the context of that passage is all just like this. It's talking to Zion directly. In in an ancient setting where, um, in an ancient setting, we'll go back to this, okay? In an ancient setting, if you lived inside of a city state that usually was enclosed by walls, it was a very encouraging comfort to know that your city would not be overcome by weapons. So when the father says of Zion in Isaiah 54, 13, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And and if anyone attacks you, their destruction will be from you and not even from me. So this is what we see fulfilled in Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10. Uh, This is a very unique, beautiful promise and attribute that an ancient city state could be spoken of in the aspects of there. There's no requirement that the men have to be on the walls with the arrows or the spears, the spear uh, warriors have to be on on the wall with the spears. Or the men at the gates waiting for them to bust through and try to fight with with swords. This was something where literally the city itself 
will be able to protect its inhabitants. So therefore the inhabitants can take just as much encouragement from that verse. Yeah. Right. So this is why we have to understand that we are the, you know, Revelation 21, seven, we inherit Zion. It's also uh, first spoken in Isaiah 54, uh, 17. So we inherit the city of God, his city. It's kind of a, a really beautiful promise. And then therefore, yeah, it makes perfect sense that we can take the encouragement from hearing that, oh, no weapon formed against our future home right. will prosper. Right. It's amazing. So, yeah. And then just, you know, to drive the point home that being born again is what happens at the resurrection. I mean, this is directly talking about how it'll be registered in our records, you know, that we have wherever well, in the city. That's a great point. But can we back up a few thoughts and kind of lead into that? Because there's some foundational ideas that maybe the average person isn't thinking of. So like you're talking about verse four, is that right? So it says this one was born in Zion. Well, and further down six directly says the Lord will record in the register of the peoples. This one was born in Zion. Okay. Okay. So just, just something I wanted to point out to people that when people ask when, when will we be born again? Mm-hmm. It's at the resurrection. At the resurrection. That's right. And it fits into the meta the mar I just want to point out that it fits into the marriage metaphor with the city specifically being the bride in that metaphor because we're the children of Zion because we are quote born of her at the resurrection. We are. So um this is what Isaiah 66 mentions in verse 7 through 9, uh, specifically verse 9 where it talks about, you know, who's ever heard of this that an entire nation's born in a day. Yeah. And then the the personification of Zion in Isaiah 66 is speaking, and she says, the pers in personification form, she says, who has, who has birthed and reared these children for me? Yeah. Right? She's amazed, right? And then it says, who has heard of such a thing that an entire nation could be born in a day? So that's not referring to the state of Israel that it's was not. created in the no. early part of this last century? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. It's a future event that uh, is, uh, happens on the day of the Lord. But I also want to mention verse 4 real quick, because this is very powerful for a lot of um, Hebrew Israelite and anti-missionary uh, arguments from Judaism is that the promise of the inheritance itself, the father says in the same sentences that he's going to establish the city and there will be people that were considered born from this city at the resurrection. At the same time, he mentions some of those people will be from Rahab. That's Egypt. That's, a, that's another pseudonym for Egypt. Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. So that's most of the Middle East, guys. Yeah. That's all the way up from Lebanon to Babylon to Ethiopia. That's that's most of the Middle East. So this, if if ever there was any confusion, in verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So the initial dwellings of Jacob within the land, he loved those. Yeah. But he loves the gates of Zion more than all those. Because there's other nations that get pulled and grafted in through faith in Yeshua. He becomes their high priest. He becomes their shepherd because of their faith. They get grafted into Israel. And the nation of Zion, its physical boundaries are greater and larger than all the dwellings of Jacob. So therefore, it will encompass parts of Babylon and Egypt because it goes from the Euphrates to the Nile. And it's 1,500 square miles, as Revelation explains to us. So therefore, it's going to encompass Tyre, which is northwest Mediterranean Sea, uh, you know, over there near Lebanon, modern day Lebanon. So it's beautiful that these moments here that he's encouraging, if you are from the nations and you're from outside of Israel in the day that this psalmist wrote this and you, and someone was, you were reading through the Holy scriptures of Israel and you ran across this Psalm, you instantly would know, wait a minute, 
So I'm include. I can be invited to this too. Like yeah. the creator of heaven and earth, his house he's going to establish it on the ground. That in itself is a unique story than any other religion ever. Yeah. And when he establishes his house on the ground, he's yes, his the people that he's chosen to be the light to the nations, they're going to be included in that. But he's also telling me it's going to extend to these greater borders. And then hopefully some competent person in Israel would not be prejudicial and would have explained to him, yes, this is what was promised to Abraham. Yeah. From the Euphrates to the Nile, there's going to be a ton of nations that are going to come to and then join in because the, Abraham was promised to be a father that's a spiritual leader to many nations. Now, progenitively, if you want to go biologically, he also became a father of many nations as well. Mm -hmm. But also in the promise that's explained in Galatians 4 and Romans 4 and, and what Yeshua refers to in John, it's the spiritual family, if you will, of Israel that right. gets grafted in from all the people in faith and belief of all the nations also comes in under the faith of Abraham under the covenant of Abraham as promised to him. And so this is a wonderful little um, moment in the Psalms that is directly reminding us, which I think is very important. And I've, and unfortunately it seems like there's been a lot of uh, a rabbi of Judaism that has overlooked this over the years yeah. because they become prejudicial to think that, you know, only bloodborne Jews are going to be the ones that get into heaven somehow. It's, it's really weird. Or that you got to convert to Judaism and reject yeah. Yeshua, yep. which is of course an anti-missionary argument that we don't hold to. So, it, this would be a wonderful reminder and a wonderful proclamation to anyone listening to the nations, right? Like Romans 14 talks about how can he believe that this no one does not preach or if he does not hear and how does he hear if someone doesn't preach? Yeah. So like, so this would be something that someone could run out like, like Jonah. Right. 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 I mean, it mentions Babylon. Assyria was a part of Babylon when Jonah went to, to Assyria and Nineveh. So like, it's, it's uh it's fascinating to me. Like this would be something where I, we don't get Jonah's message. Right. We just get that he, he yeah. told them to repent, but something tells me there was a little bit more being said yeah. in the preaching of that, right? But we don't get his full message, but this could easily be included in his message. Like, guys, if you just repent, do what's right, stop worshiping these idols, know that the, the, the creator of heaven and earth has a city he's going to bring down and found on the, on the land, and you can be a part of it, and he's going to love all of us, the dwellings of Jacob, as well as Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush. So... But this, of course, would have been an incredible challenge to Jonah's bad attitude at the time. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Because Jonah actually admits in, in chapter four, he's like, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing guys, but he's basically saying, I, I didn't want to go to them because I knew that you would save them if they repented. <laughs> and he didn't want them to repent. He wanted the a Babylonian Empire to get what they deserved because they had invaded Israel and mm -hmm. scattered his people. And he didn't like that. So even though his people invited that. Right? Yeah. Even though they were transgressing the covenant and rebelling, the judgment on them. and they had invited that destruction upon themselves, Jonah was still angry at the enemy for, for doing that, right? So Yahweh had to correct his heart and his understanding, and he did it in the most uh, humbling way possible, which is to go to your enemies and show them love yeah. by asking them to repent yeah, and being willing to put yourself vulnerable before them, you know? And so, I mean, coming up out of the ocean and being spit up by the whale was probably a you know, a big help in <laughs> establishing some credibility for him yeah. as he went walking into the city. Um, so I think it's pretty cool. And like you mentioned earlier that we've had this idea of registering the peoples. Yeah. So it's like the heavenly social security number. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being silly guys, but seriously though, like it's, he's going to know who's, who's there and who's not. I mean, this is why and like in Matthew 22 at the wedding supper, of the lamb, there's a guy that snuck in 
Yeah. He's like, what are you doing here? You don't have the wedding clothes. You're not a part of this right now. You need to be out to the nations. I'm going to throw you out there. Um, and I'm guessing that the, um, the judgment hadn't happened yet, which is why he's thrown out to where they're still weeping and gnashing yeah. of teeth. Um, because it'll be in that intermittent time. Anyway, I'm no, I don't want to get, I don't want to get derailed into the details of all that right now, but there's a lot that goes on in the details. Um, but I think it's interesting because then I don't know what kind of register this is going to look like, but it, I don't think that this is poetic language because yeah. all the angels are constantly recording right. the deeds of mankind on the earth. I think they have some pretty large libraries of books with things that are recorded up there. Yeah. That's another thing um, that has been taught through Christianity and even Judaism for so many generations that people, it, it, it fails to dawn on people that books and writing seem to be woven in the fabric of creation. It's part of his creation. It's part of how he operates and does things. He records things in books. Um, so we come from this tradition of teaching people that, oh, the Bible was passed down orally until the law was given at Mount Sinai. And it's like, there's not one single verse that says that, first of all. <laughs> And second, when you get into some of the books that have been removed, like Jubilees makes it very clear that there were books passed down all the way from Adam, right? Yeah. That taught the priestly duties. <laughs> so Levi was taught all these different offerings, you know, through these books that were given to him by his father once he was given the priesthood. So that's just another thing that I've always, you know, kind of, it's always been a pet peeve of mine when I hear people teaching on that, that, oh, it was just all passed down orally until such and such. But I'm like, chapter and verse, please. <laughs> well, that comes from Judaism. Yes. Um, they don't, they want to say the first written Torah was at Mount Sinai. Yeah. Well, so they can, you know, idolize Moses. But Well, they, they also love their oral, their oral mm -hmm. instructions. So to make the oral Torah that they teach as elevated above the actual written Torah, it would make sense that they would have this bias in their teaching about, Oh, it doesn't have to be written down. Yeah. I, yeah. How, how many, how much of that do we see in the modern day in, in certain faith circles and certain types of churches and denominations and certain types of pet doctrines where they're like, no, it's not written there, but this is what I think about. Yeah. It. Yes. Yes. I know the words say this, but this is what I think about how mm -hmm. you should do it. Even though, how I'm explaining how you should do it definitely does not agree with the words in a right. plain contextual definitional reading. So you get, this is where you have to make a judgment call at some point, right. right? As far as if you're claiming to be a teacher of the word and then you're imposing your own tradition into that teaching, like how, how far do you go with that before people start going, well, where, why are we just not doing the word? Like when does your tradition start to conflict with the actual clear instruction from the word? Yeah. And when do you recognize that your tradition is clearly contradicting what's yeah. blatantly written in the word? Yeah. What's up, Ken? How are you doing, brother? Ken. Never read it. Never heard of it. Never, never read Galatians. What's it called? Grammations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Nope. Haven't read it, brother. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Also, there was a super chat earlier. I just want to say thank you for that as well. Um, it was from Matthew Whitworth. He's asking about Mr. Beast making Antarctic Antarctic video, Antarctica video. Excuse me if I get that out. Um, and you know, in all seriousness, Matthew, thank you for the super chat. But brother, this is nothing new than just some other popular influencer 
uh, going to one of the bases in Antarctica and then them giving him the footage of right. the 24 hour sun or whatnot. Yeah. Because I'll be honest with you. I, um, there's a reason why that gen- that particular gentleman is promoted in the algorithms. Um, as well as the dozen or so different videos that NASA's already tried to produce and give out to academia about a 24 hour sun in Antarctica. And so there's a lot of issues with that, but you know, this is why I'll say line signs and wonders, man. It's it's yeah. so easy with modern day uh, digital photography yeah. and editing for them to make anything they want. I mean, have you seen Unreal Engine? Like they can literally make a landscape with the sun doing doing uh, figure eights in the sky. And it looks as real as reality on 8K. Like it's, you know, it's um, just, I guess I would say study, you know, image manipulation <laughs> techniques and what's possible with modern technology. And then also I would always say we just must stick with the clear Clear words of scripture. That's that's the biggest easiest yeah, way. Yeah, and anyone getting permission to go to Antarctica and film there, like you have to remember, this isn't this isn't a place that any of us can go and check the work. Any of us can go and independently do this ourselves. This is something where you literally have to get the government to let you <laughs> go there and do these things. So I don't know why we would put any stock in. Um, someone getting government p- permission to go down to a government base <laughs> and supposedly be honest in what they're showing us from that area. So, All right. So in addition to Psalm 87, we also wanted to parallel that with Isaiah 65. And so here in Isaiah 65, we have um, very similar descriptions about our future home and promise in Zion. You want to read this one? You, you want me to read it? Okay. For behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. Are we a delight right now, guys? Let, <laughs> let us be a delight in these next few days. Let us be a delight to yeah. folks, right? We're yeah. practicing to be in this home, this kingdom, this yeah. wonderful Zion. Are we going to be a delight? Are we going to be sought after for knowledge because of our love exudes? Right. Or are we going to be, you know, a terror? Yeah. Repulsive. (laughs) Let's be a delight. Let's practice that part. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sounds of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. No longer will a nursing infant live but a few days or an old man fail to live out his years. For the youth will die at a hundred years and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. But they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruits. No longer will they build houses for others to inhabit nor plant for others to eat. For as is the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Now, what's interesting, I'm pretty sure in this particular passage, it's if you look in the Septuagint, it says um, the lifetime of the tree of life. Yeah. They will by no means build and others inhabit, and they shall by no means plant and others eat. As for the days of the tree of life shall be the days of my people. Mm. They shall enjoy, they shall long enjoy the fruits of their labors. Which makes sense because this passage is specifically talking about the survivors of the nations who would be mortals and they would be coming to eat from the tree of life, right? Uh, Not all of it. I wouldn't say all of it. Um, No, not all of it. But as far as like a youth dying at a hundred, like the people that are talking about, they're going to die. Like, obviously that's not talking about us. Yes. So, yes. Um, just for, for anyone that may have wondered, we I was going to finish reading all of it and then kind of jump into that. I apologize. I have distracted myself. 
But yes, um, the, the, if you're resurrected and you inherit Zion, you're never going to have to worry about dying. But remember the, the idea of kingdom, guys. I tried to explain this one time with a picture, um, but I, I need to probably explain it every time I mention Zion because people really struggle with this. They really, really do, guys. Think about your local town, all right? Well, your, your, your immediate local town in the modern first world nations. You have a capital building. That's where the administrators make decisions for the town. And you have to have special qualifications to become administrator. But then everyone within the, the, the town or the county province to where those decisions affect are part and under that authority of the administrators in that, in that government building. Okay. Similarly, back in the ancient days in a, in a kingdom society, right, where we had kings and serfs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. In a kingdom society, you would have the major castle area that was usually enclosed with its own courtyards and its own areas. And then anyone that lived outside and around that kingdom to a certain degree was under that king's authority because you were still in the nation that that king ruled over. So the promise of Zion and Yeshua being the king of Zion ruling over not just the city, all the nations on the earth. So therefore, anyone from any nation on the earth that is coming to Zion for refuge, for sustenance, for health, and to learn the Torah, they're all going to be under the authority of the kingdom and specifically of the king of that kingdom, Yeshua of Nazareth. That's the promise of kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That is the idea of he comes down, he rules over all the nations, not just over the people inside the New Jerusalem. So the that's where you can have passages like this that simultaneously talk about his people living inside the city and the people under his rule that he's ruling over the nations. These are the people that would be judged as the sheep in Matthew 25 and are allowed to repopulate the earth. They're also going to be living a long time, even to the days of uh, well beyond a hundred years, right? Even to the days of the tree of life. And I would say specifically, sweetie, it's because the water that comes out of the city. Yeah. Because that's the, the only common denominator I've ever found in scripture as far as why people before the flood lived up to 900 years old and, mm. and almost a thousand years old versus when the kingdom comes and the trees of life are there and that water, which the tree grows along the sides mm -hmm. of the tree of life and that water's coming out and that water comes from the throne of God. Yeah. And that water comes out and water is not just the city of God, but comes the out whole. of the city. And waters all the, the water earth, courses of the yeah. earth. And this is what Ezekiel 47, 12 tells us about. So it's this wonderful water of life that's coming out of the city directly from the throne of God. It's an amazing, you know, it reminds me of what Yeshua says, you know, I'll give you living water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so therefore people then, the entire earth gets replenished with this particular water coming from the new Jerusalem and all the water courses of the earth, rivers, tributaries, oceans, all that kind of stuff. So therefore... You're going to have people living a long time because they're drinking incredibly awesome purified yeah. water. It's going to be the most structured water ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. All my water nerds get that reference. <laughs> so this is uh, verse 22. It says, well, this was actually, uh, this actually goes back to Leviticus 26, which is the idea of um, the enemy coming in to, you know, supplant or invade or overtake which the, the the efforts of your own labor because yeah. remember it's one of the curses yeah uh, that you know you'll build houses but others will inhabit them you know you'll marry women but others will take them you yeah. know what i mean so like that 
that was one of the curses, but this is just showing that the law of God, the blessings of the law of God will be active both for people inside and outside the city. How beautiful is that? It's amazing. So in case you guys ever wanted to show people the law of God being actually implicate or implemented in the kingdom, here's a great verse in Isaiah 65, 22. So verse 23 says, they will not labor in vain or bear children doomed to disaster. That's also from Leviticus as well in Deuteronomy 28. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Even before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. It's like that instant, that instant uh, Wi-Fi with the Father. <laughs> yeah. I love it, right? Um, the wolf and the lamb will feed. Please, please, guys, no, no Mandela effect. We're not going to be addressing Mandela effect questions. We don't believe in it. End yeah. of story. I'm sorry, guys. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But the food of the serpent will be dust. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So this is amazing. So inside the city, we have the promise that the animals will not be hurting each other. Right. Does that mean the same thing is happening outside the city? You know, I never thought about it. I okay. don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. So a lot of animals will probably be uh, perished, uh, will probably die at the events of the day of the Lord and, and the, the wars and the famines leading up to the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. All the environmental catastrophes. Yeah, but we don't know. We're not told specifically about all the zoology of the entire earth outside the city and how much of it's left over. But we just know that humans are left over. Now, I'm not saying there won't be animals left over. We're just not told how much of them and what happens and all that kind of stuff. What we, we are told that animals inside the, the kingdom will not behave in the, the, uh, What's the, what do they call that? Like the uh, circle of life mentality, like, you know, the, the food chain mentality. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where they're not harm or Predator destroy. Predator prey. Yeah. Yeah. We're told like they won't harm each other in that way there. And that's fine. That's wonderful. But, it, you know, we're just not told outside of the kingdom exactly how that's going to go down. Because the priesthood of the resurrected saints that are inside the kingdom are going to be going outside the kingdom to minister to the nations to help them repopulate, rebuild, and start life again according to the wisdom of God's instructions, right? This perfect law that the whole earth gets to follow now because they're taught it properly. If there's any, I'm just guessing, I'm going to put this out there as a guess for all the animal lovers out there, okay? If there are animals that are still outside the city, they're not going to instantly just change their nature miraculously. Just like the people outside the city do not instantly change their nature miraculously. They're going to be getting good sound doctrine, they're going to be getting good food and medicine, so it's going to help them live longer. All three of those help them live longer. But nothing is promised about the animals suddenly living a thousand years or not reproducing anymore and having babies or whatever. I, I tend to think they're going to have a natural life cycle like we see them have. And we mankind, as he learns to be a better steward and, and a husband to the animals, will not be poaching them illegally, will not be, you know, uh, abusing them and stealing them and trading them for, for their skins and all that stuff. I imagine there'll be a different economy and usage of animal husbandry because the, the mortal men outside the city are being taught the proper law of God. So I just don't <laughs> see the promise that the people outside the law of God who haven't been resurrected, I don't see them. They don't instantly change their nature. And I don't see any reason that we didn't believe the animals would instantly change their nature. They're just going to have to be taught basically the end because you know you train animals too mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so if the animals aren't constantly in fear of mankind taking them out in erroneous horrible ways um or for just 
an unnecessary slaughter versus uh, a, a regular food source, right? Because we're going to see that for uh, sacrifices. Like, but the, most of that is from cattle and animals that are raised uh, in a controlled environment versus the, all the you know thousands of animals that are considered wild. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? The yeah. difference we're trying to draw. So, cattle versus beasts. Hopefully, I'm trying to I'm trying to help everyone that kind of expand our thoughts on the reality of Zion. Once it's on the ground, there's perfection inside, but outside's not perfect. Men, yeah. animals, the world is still rebuilding. It's still destroyed partially. It's got to grow back. The water courses of the earth are destroyed. Like people don't have clean water. That has to be refreshed over time. So there's going to be a moment where like God just doesn't come and just go poof. It's not like a Thanos moment, right? Where he just like snaps his fingers and everything is like paradise in the Garden of Eden. No, the paradise in the Garden of Eden is what's in the city. That is the perfection that people of the nations can come to and see this is what I'm promised if I do what's right and obey Yeshua's instructions to keep the commandments. This is what I get to inherit. This is amazing. I want this because when I turn around and face the other way, I see a destroyed world Yeah. versus looking at this beautiful city where everything is great. I don't have to fear being mauled by a lion or a random bobcat. You know what I'm saying? Like I just can chill. I don't have to worry about my neighbor trying to take my wife or trying to steal my land. I could just chill like this is what I want. And out here, all these other people do not know how to behave like this. Yeah. But these wonderful glorified people in here, they do know how to behave like this. So I'm going to learn from them. And this is how we see God's will on earth populate and spread throughout the whole earth throughout the millennial reign. Sorry for thanks for letting me speak a little longer on that. <laughs> That's Soon, just as long as you normally speak about things. <laughs> well, I felt like you may have wanted to jump in, but I kept going. So, uh, yeah, and I've missed my missed the opportunity now. So let's just move on. Okay, good. Do you want to take questions? We for... do. So we just want to do like thirty minutes of questions. We have we have only so much sunlight before the it's too dark to take Bella to the P A R K. So, <clears throat> so yeah, if you guys have any. I guess questions about anything. We didn't really. Well, if you if you put them what like forty five minutes ago, please try to repeat them because yeah. we can't see the entire chat on our system here. And please type them in all capital letters yeah. so they're easier for us to see. Okay, we have Amanda Rodriguez is asking about Leviticus seventeen eleven in light of our PSA view. Apparently, apparently there we have a, a special PSA view. I'm not sure exactly what <laughs> she thinks that is, but let's look at it real quick. Wow. So. 1711 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So our PSA view is that there's a temple, an altar, a prescribed animal with pure, undefiled, unblemished blood. It's called tamim in the Hebrew. And that's part of the process that Yahweh is describing here for his priesthood to make atonement for you. Yeah. Who's making atonement with that blood? The blood by itself just coursing through the veins and, and of the animal is right. not making atonement for us. So it's this this verse does not say, for the life of the flesh is in the blood of the priest, and you need to put that on the altar. Yeah. So this is what modern day penal substitutionary atonement proclaims. Is this poetic, yet they try to make it sound literal, idea that Yeshua's literal blood that dripped from his body while he's hanging on the cross somehow did something for you as far as atonement. It was his sacrifice to be willing to endure the cross so that he could be resurrected and become a high priest for you to minister in the same conditions that we see outlined in Leviticus 
1 through 16, which is a temple, an altar prescribed by God with a sacrifice prescribed by God and a priest who's anointed and qualified to do that, that sacrifice to make atonement on behalf of the sinner. So this is what Yeshua does for us right now yep. as our high priest in the heaven's temple. Check out the entire book of Hebrews when you have a chance. And this is this is the difference in modern Catholic concept of penal substitution. It, it derived from Italian philosophers, guys. It did not derive from the scriptures. It derived from probably some dude that at one point was like, you know what? How do I describe this in a way that gets people's attention? And or just really a lot of early Christians were coming out straight out of Rome and Greece. They were coming straight yeah. out of pagan religions that practiced human sacrifice. So yes. if they were viewing these things through those lenses, that's why I said Italian philosophers. Yeah, that's right. So this is where this is what a lot of the early church fathers after the third century were Italian philosophers. And they were trying to figure out their ways of describing God. But many of the times they're not using the scriptures to do so. And this is why we just think it, you just got to keep it simple. Yeah, or just read the scriptures. They're using the scriptures, but they were so heavily focused on the New Testament and pulling that out of the context of the whole book and totally forgetting about the priesthood itself. That of course they of course they came to these conclusions. It's Sean and I aren't sitting here like not understanding how people came to these conclusions with the verses that they've taken out of context and they've misunderstood to apply them to this interpretation. Um, we're just, we're just at a place where we no longer view the scriptures through those lenses. We view it through the priesthood lenses. That yeah. makes all the difference when you're reading scripture guys and trying to fit in what Yeshua actually does for us, because we say it all the time. If it was just his death and the spilling of his blood, that was our atonement. Why did he need to be resurrected and become our high priest? Yeah. Why call him a priest at all? Why not just call him the king of Israel? Yeah. But he's no, he's the priest and king. He's the priest king. It's a huge honor. It's like the, the big main thing he came to accomplish. And we have been taught to just ignore it. ignore it. Like it doesn't even exist. It's not important. It's not literal. In the same way, we have to remind people about the the environment the landscape slash environment slash socioeconomic structure of a kingdom yeah in the same way we have to remind people why <laughs> it's an honor to be a high priest of right, Yahweh. right because they don't have any familiarity with them a clue what that means yeah. they've never been to a temple and watched the priest perform they've never seen one die because he went to the holy mm -hmm. holies and didn't have his heart right yeah like they've never seen the consequences of him making atonement for you because i Testament of Levi chapter three, verse 10 says it all happens in heaven with the angelic priesthood in heaven and men on the ground sin and provoke God and don't know what's going on for their atonement in heaven above. Yeah. Right. So that was before Yeshua got there. Now Yeshua is doing the same job in heaven and heaven's temple. So, and that's uh, yeah, there's a lot there to it, guys. God, the father, he set up a system and mm -hmm. for all of creation, how all of creation works, the same system that we see the ecology of life, the water cycle, uh, the, the environmental cycle, uh, the decay cycle, that everything in, on this earth, as far as we can understand, happens in heaven above us as, as mm -hmm. well as far as the, the zoology and the plant-based uh, biology and everything involved with the life cycle of earth. The only difference is the types of beings that rule over those things, the husbandry that is happening from mankind versus angel kind right. depends on which part of the creation model you were given. So mankind was given the earth to subdue it and rule over it. So that means... Angels were given their area where they subdue and roll over things. 
And just like I was talking about, a lot of people forget the reality of heaven above. Right. So the father told mankind on the earth to build a tabernacle after the reality of the tabernacle in heaven above. Which would include all of the utensils used yes. in the sacrificial process. If that stuff is all just sitting up there collecting heavenly dust... I mean, wh why? Why would the father have a whole sanctuary up there with a whole grill to offer burnt offerings on and all the utensils used to move things around on that grill? Why would he have all that? Why up in heaven if it's not being used? I, I guess as someone who wasn't raised in Christianity, I didn't have substitutionary atonement just hammered into me as far as that's the foundation of my faith. To me, it's not scary or triggering or anything it doesn't create any emotions in me to consider that there's a literal sanctuary up there which means all the stuff he said to put in that sanctuary is also up there too bread wine all of it like to me i don't understand what is so offensive about just accepting the clear implications it's bad doctrines it's it's bad teachings that's carried from the catholic church to Protestant churches yeah i'm offering that as an encouragement for the people who do feel triggered by this and feel like oh my gosh you're preaching a whole nother gospel now this is dangerous all the things that we hear people say just consider like why why do you why does this trigger you to a point of accusing us of actually teaching a different gospel which then i'm like okay how are you defining the gospel because if it's not about the kingdom and the king and the priest that comes to rule that kingdom. I don't know what gospel you're talking about, but I mean, I know what gospel they're talking about. It's the Christian gospel of he came, he died for my sins and he rose on the third day. Boom, done. No more descriptions, no more details. That's all people need to know. I don't know. That's to me, that's, that's not a full gospel remember in my what, opinion. Remember what I told you that we should maybe consider talking about today before we started. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny it happens to come up. I mean, I just didn't want it. That's not what I wanted to read from today. I know you I'm, didn't. I was feeling so we have another today. question <laughs> about the atonement. We were going to read from Leviticus, first chapter six, about the scriptures that sacrifice the altar and talk about this, but we've, we've talked about it a lot. So yeah. we're kind of, you know, but hey, this is what we do. We repeat ourselves because thousands of people didn't hear us on another video yeah. just describe this. So it's fine. But Tor Prospectors is also asking, when Yeshua is making atonement in the Heavenly Tabernacle, is it once per year or is it on the day of the Lord? Uh, or once on the day of, I'm guessing he's saying the day of atonement or trying to say the day of atonement. Probably not day of atonement. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what DOFL is, but, or the sacrifice daily. So Tor Prospectors, I have a question for you. Is the instructions that was given to Israel to practice through the priesthood and a, and a tabernacle and altar and that whole thing, everything they were given to told it, Make this, practice it, do this. Is that a, a copy of what goes on in heaven or not? That's the that I'm I'm not trying to be Jewish and answer a question with a question, but no, that's that's literally really, the, the think about point, it. Think about it. Like, are at we at a certain point people need to answer our questions? Yeah, are we, we are we actually believing the scriptures when they directly tell us Exodus 25, 26, 27, and also in Hebrews chapter eight verses four and five, the temple on the ground and everything in it. The priesthood, the duties of them, the, the altars, the multiple holy, the holy of holies, the outer court, everything involved in it. Is that a copy or not? Because if it's a copy, that means they're doing it in heaven. Now, to break down Yeshua and his role as high priest, we do see that the high, the, high the high priest specifically did this, the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement every year. And there were lower priests that were doing the mm -hmm. daily sacrifices and the Sabbath sacrifices and that kind of stuff. So if there's a whole angelic priesthood up there. Yeah. Then Which I'm there is, yeah. I'm sure 
those lower level priests are are doing the daily the daily sacrifices angels eat too yeshua post-resurrection eats too yes they worship the father too and they worship him in true spirit and truth they're able to actually worship him the way it is described in his torah as we've talked about many times over many weeks this always goes back to the basics of understanding what a sacrifice really is yeah it's It's not it's not a waste of animal yeah it's preparing a meal just like you go and purchase cuts of meat from the grocery store that went through a slaughter process that came from a farm. It was done through a certain process to be brought and packaged to you so you could purchase it at the counter, take it home and throw it on the grill. It's the (laughs) same idea. There's no waste involved. It's not the point. It's not just, this is another slander against the father's character. When people start saying, Oh, he didn't desire sacrifices. Yeah. He it's, they're taking those things out of context because he didn't desire sacrifices from priests whose hearts were bad. Yeah. He wanted the sacrifices done. And this is why there's an abundance of scriptures that tell us he, there are pleasing sacrifices to him when it's done with the right heart and through the right instructions. So this is why we have that in Yeshua. It's wonderful. We have the priest who has the right heart forever. He pleases the father because he has the right heart. And then he does the instructions the right way. And he has a pleasing aroma to bring to the father. And there's a fellowship meal. This is what these are for. It's not a waste. So in the same way that we see a copy of what's going on in the ground that was that we get expounded in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, we also see that's going on in heaven because that's where it's copied from. Yeah. Which means they have oxen, they have sheep, they have goats. Revelation 19, Yeshua comes back on a horse. Yeah. See what I'm saying, guys? Yeah, and we have a big feast when he comes back. What yes. do you guys think we're going to be eating? It directly tells you in Matthew 22, verse 4, the fattened oxen are slaughtered. Yeah. The feast is prepared. And that's going to be all clean, unblemished animals. So they're not going to be coming from the destroyed world outside of the city for that feast. So where are they coming from? So to answer the question, ultimately, we w- we can be absolutely certain Yeshua would be performing the duties that the high priest was to perform, which would be definitely going in on the day of atonement and performing that sacrifice as far as how he's involved in the dailies we'll see when we get there but there's definitely dailies going on i mean they eat they eat too so (laughs) um (laughs) country kids got jokes he said why do prayers ask questions about the end times um i you know i i I think it's a joke country kid but if you're not joking you know, they want to learn too. So they're, they're trying to weed through preterism is highly contradictory and to all observed history as well as the scriptures themselves. So I'm sure they have questions that are lingering. Tom, welcome brother. Um, hope you're doing well. He's asking about having a vid on the differences between the two genealogies in Matthew one and Luke three. I've heard the argument in the past. I haven't seen the argument expounded clearly, but if you have anything, you're welcome to email me and direct me to that resource. And I personally haven't done a video on it because I haven't seen the argument fleshed out clearly i've heard people make claims that there is an argument about it but i haven't heard it expounded clearly so uh living by the way no michael is not the christ uh yeshua the son of god is above michael michael's just an an archangel that's below in authority underneath yeshua's authority this is what hebrews chapter one verses one through six expounds to us and let me see here Tor Prospector is asking, is there a direct verse that human blood cannot be on the altar, or is it just implied? Um, not even animal blood is on the altar, brother. It's drained out and buried in the dirt and covered over. So, well, he would be referring to the blood that's wiped on the horns 
because there I mean, are we're, there we're is some about, blood sprinkled. Yeah. But we're given the animals that are permissible for that. Yes. So no human. All right. So yes, there is a direct verse, Leviticus 14 and 15. If a man has an emission, um, whether it's, and if a woman has an emission, whether it's fluid or blood, she's unclean and can't come before the temple. So if a priest has an emission, whether fluid or blood, he cannot do his duties and come before God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so directly spoken to even go to the links to say, why doesn't Yahweh allow human blood on his altar is to ignore the entire foundation of what it means to be clean and step before Yeshua at his temple, specifically, not just for the lay people, but there was a higher standard for the priests. If you read in the Torah here in Leviticus, it explains how they have to continually, like the, the high priest, you have to do certain stages, and at each stage, he has to wash himself. Yep. So even with the from the clean animal blood. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So no, yeah. Study Leviticus fourteen and fifteen. I would I would encourage you to do a deep dive study on the idea of what it means to be clean in relationship to the temple and and God's God's holy temple. Otherwise, you you die. It's bad. You get plagued. Yeah, and maybe focus less on the yeah. absence of an explicit verse saying exactly what you want it to say, and focus on the presence of the verses that very clearly lay out what blood is accepted in His sanctuary. Okay, so uh, Gene Riley is asking, are the priesthood and the kingdom come, the coming kingdom include women? Um, yes. Now, the hype, the specific duties of certain types of priests that allow sacrifices are all men. But as far as being a like a, a lay priest, if you will, or a, an additional ministering servants, uh, we see women do that in the temple all the time. I mean, that's um, okay. So at, for, uh, we've talked about this in the past. I'll try to make it quick because I've, I've done a little bit more in depth in the past, but we see an example of this in Luke chapter two with Anna from the tribe of Asher. And she's a prophetess who never left the temple day and night. And she's someone that the idea of a prophetess would be someone like a priest. They also are supposed to know the law of God and have, be able to teach others the law of God. So people would come to the, the temple and they would, the, I would guess young women, if they're following um, the Titus instruction, that young women would come to Anna, who's a female prophetess, to ask her questions about the law, and she could therefore confer with them and explain to them, just like Miriam was tasked with the other women in Numbers to speak and teach to the to the women the law of God. So I would say yes, but not specifically doing altar sacrifices. There's many other jobs that are part of the priesthood that we'll all be engaging in as we go out and help the world rebuild during the millennial reign. So yeah, the, the same can be said for the restored Levitical priesthood that'll be um, there during the kingdom, because those those priests will be taken from the mortal survivors. So again, it'll be the males who are the priests who are you know doing the altar sacrifices, but there will be females involved in all the other things that go on um, with the temple and all the animals that there are to care for and other food to make to be eaten besides what's made for the sacrifices and all of that. <clears throat> okay, so Joe Large is asking, is Mastima mentioned in Jubilee? <coughs> I don't know what he's asking. Is Mastima, who's mentioned in Jubilee's well, that's, you're, first you're beast, words, second right? beast, or the dragon? Uh, the dragon, if that's what you're asking. Um, I'm sure that's what we're asking. <laughs> I don't know if it's two questions. Um, like, is it mentioned in Jubilee's? And if so, is it first, second, or third, or the dragon? But it'd be the dragon. It's the Satan character. So I'm going to put this on screen for us to look at. Um, this is the book of Jubilees. Wait a second here. One second. We're going to look at two different places in this book to show you that uh, because people need to. I would highly encourage people to read and study Jubilees. It would greatly help you. Yeah. 
Um, but you have mastema, what's called the Prince mastema um, here. And this is the, the one who desired to attack. This would be the equivalent of, um, this would be the equivalent of Exodus chapter four. And uh, Moses is coming back to Egypt and the, the angel's trying to kill him. That Jubilees tells us that it's Prince Mastima is that angel that's trying to slay him on the way back to deliver the Egyptians. So Jubilees already defines for us who President Prince Mastima is. And it directly tells you in verse uh, verse 11. And it's people that are subject before Satan. And so this, if you go here, um, where'd it go? Where did it go? Oh, here it is. It's for, and the chief of spirits, Mastima, came and said, let these, these wicked spirits come before me. And so therefore we did all of his words. All malignant evil ones were bound in place of condemnation. A tenth part of the unclean spirits we left that might become subject before Satan on the earth. So you have a direct correlation with Mastima and Satan. And then also we see that, that Satan tried to um, attack him in Exodus chapter 4, which is repeated in Jubilees 48. So it's just something to keep in mind. And we're just going to go for like another 10 minutes or so. Just FYI, guys. So if we didn't get to your question, please don't be upset. Just join us next week. We'll be back. Early adopter. We've answered this question in the past, so I'm glad you're asking again. It's a great follow-up to what we were talking about. He said, Hebrews 10, 4, it's impossible for the blood and bulls of goats. Excuse me. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but they do atone and cover our sin. Our sins will forever be taken away at the resurrection. Exactly. So this is what we've tried to explain to folks that yeah. there's a difference between an atonement versus your sins removed. Yeah. We're promised through at the resurrection. And this is only possible because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's the one that has the power to resurrect you. But at that moment, you get a new body with a new heart. All of your old sins are removed. Okay. Until that moment. Your sins are atoned for. That means covering over, yeah. covered over. And that also happens through the priesthood of Yeshua as he appeases the Father and covers over your atonement, mm -hmm. preserving you for the resurrection. That's what's called being saved. Okay? So that um, hopefully this is I like more their follow-up where they said also a sin offering is better translated as a purification offering. Okay. I like that. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, Stephen K. Warkinson's asking, and John 5, 4, any other mentions of this angel on the healing waters? No, this is a highly debated passage in the manuscripts. I haven't done extensive research, but I just know from what little research I did, there seems to be, you know, a debate with, as as there is with all scholars throughout all of time. Some yeah. say that this passage isn't the original manuscripts. Some say it is. I don't, I don't know. I can't read the original Greek Koinonia manuscripts. All I can say is that we see a precedent for angels healing people through various means. And so we also see that, um, you know, Naaman in Second Kings chapter five dipped himself seven times in the waters and he was healed of leprosy. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for this to be um, a legit thing that was happening and rightly included in the manuscript. Big Pete is asking, after the resurrection, do you think women will have a female resurrected? But yes, you get the same body that you were you were given. That's you're going to be known as you were known, as as Paul tries to say in Corinthians. So. You're going to, men are going to get the same body, but we'll just, you know, we're not going to be procreating. So, and it'll be circumcised. Yeah, and the men will be circumcised. And everyone's hearts will be circumcised to do God's yes. behavior. So, Jonathan, I'm not sure of the nature of your question, brother. Um, yeah, I did not uh, understand that. I don't know you, if you're it's being antagonistic or. Yeah, you're welcome to expound. Alexander is asking um, Is Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, a commission for all believers or just the prophets? Give me just a minute. Let me go try to look this up. I think this is about being a watchman on the wall. Okay. 
and like their blood is on your hands if they don't repent of your sin and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is uh, Ezekiel 33, 33, 7 through 9. But I would say let's go to verse 1. We see here it says, the word of the Lord came to me. That's a specific person saying, son of man, speak to your people and tell them. So the watchmen were specific people on, on the actual walls of cities. Um, and so he had a job to do, I guess, if I could put it like that. But he says, as for you, O son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So to me, this is kind of like qualifying that Ezekiel was being referred to as the watchman in his prophet status. Um, and this is someone that Yahweh directly is speaking to Ezekiel, not the entire nation of Israel. He says, so hear the word from my mouth and give them the warning from me. A wicked man, you surely died. And of course, he's. If you if we read the entirety of Ezekiel, we also see that he's calling them all back from their sin, their transgression of the covenant, their iniquity. Um, he was in a very adulterous generation that got invaded by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The priesthood went completely apostate and was worshiping Baal in the temple of Yahweh, um, a mass abomination to Yahweh. Right? The, the whole the leadership, the kings, uh, the, the the aristocrat class, as well as the priesthood class. It all turned from worshiping Yahweh, and this allowed them vulnerable, according to the covenant. So therefore, Babylon invaded over time, and this is this is the grander context of Ezekiel's life. Um, same thing with Baruch; he was in that same generation. Same thing with um, Daniel was a child, but he was in that same generation as well that went into exile because of Babylon. But there were three different stages of exile over a period of like fifteen years where Babylon came in, invaded, exiled some people, came back, invaded some more, exiled more people. There were three different stages that this happened over time. And Ezekiel's living through this, constantly telling people to repent, constantly. So um, he's the watchman, in my understanding, that's being referred to there. He's a specific prophet. That's a big deal. It's not like you can't just yeah. make yourself a prophet. That's an okay? office to hold. Yeah, he's it's anointed. Not just something you call yourself. We did a whole thing on this, our Torah portions last mm -hmm. spring or last almost a year ago. Every single prophet that we could see that we tried to trace through the that are in okay, let me say it like this every single prophet that's introduced and highlighted in scripture that we can see, um, there's an angel that anoints them as that prophet. So, this is not something that you can just one day wake up and said, You know what? I have a heart for the people around me, I'm a prophet, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to shout people down, and I'm going to create crazy miracles that are going to happen. It's usually an angel that showed up and anointed that prophet. And specifically that prophet was to go to the leadership, the kings, the, the rebellious priests and address them first. And then he would go to the people if the kings were ignoring him, because then you would try to address the people to not abide by the gross or abominable transgressions of the kings and the priests, the leaders of that day. So this is where, um, unfortunately, in the church, we have a large amount of churches and denominations in America that just tell people, you're a prophet of God and just, you're just like, bro, that's not, that's dangerous. Almost like people get these crazy inflated egos. I met a girl one time that she was trying to tell me with all seriousness that she was a judge in heaven. And I was like, that's not scriptural at all. But she was like tearfully emphatic and exuberant about it, but she was a judge in heaven. And I'm like, that is not how any of this works. It reminded me of that was that the Geico commercial. <laughs> They're like, that's not how this works. That's like, it's anyway. So yeah, it, that's so just, no long story short. It's not just a general blanket command to everyone reading the Bible. Um, that would be really 
none of us would get into heaven. None of us would get into the kingdom if if that was all determined by our ability to get people to repent from their sins uh, and to have people die in their iniquity because we didn't tell them to repent. Yeah, that would be that'd be rough. <clears throat> Just okay. one more. Patty is asking if we have a teaching on the sacrifice of Yeshua. Um, and I would say yes. I'm going to share my screen so you can see. It's one of our previous roundtable discussions that we did. It's the substitutionary atonement. So it's right here. If you want to go check that out, um, myself and uh, and West Blaze, um, we we and I, Michael Temperato. I think he understood what we were saying for the most part, um, and we basically go into great depth about you know why Yeshua's sacrifice was so valuable because he had to become a high priest, and you know we we kind of go into great depth about that. So another check that out. Another good one. I'm going to drop in the chat is yeshua our high priest and this is a live that sean and i did three years ago on christmas day actually um and then have you re-uploaded your substitutionary atonement presentation from the kingdom cast channel yet so that's on there too because that's another really good one yeah i did that last week okay all right just one more question um royce it's it's very simple brother um there's no evidence for it for one, if you're trying to go scientific, but if you want to go biblical, Genesis chapter seven, he created all of the animals to reproduce after their own kind. And evolution breaks that, that fundamental truth. Uh, it assumes that they crossed over to different kinds at some point, but there's no proof of that. So it's, it's uh, intellectually stupid and it's, it's anti-scriptural, right? Yeah. It's, it's not against the, the wonderful, beautiful truth that's been passed down through the prophets to mankind of how the creator made things. Um, big thank you to Dietrich, Angela Legaretta. I thank you so much for the super chat. It's really generous of you. Thank you. All right, we'll take one more real quick. Um, Dia like an idea. Well, now it's just Dia. Dia is asking, what happens to the new Jerusalem and earth at the end of the thousand years? They stay there. Mm -hmm. They're still there. They endure into eternity. He reigns forever. Why is there a thousand year segment spoken of? Instead of just saying the kingdom has come down the earth and he reigns forever, which it does say that, but it also qualifies with there's a specific thousand years where the resurrected saints will rule and reign with him for that thousand years. So why not just say the resurrected saints will rule and reign with Yeshua forever? Why cap it at a thousand years? Yeah, because they're still mortals during that thousand years. Yeah. Not everybody's been resurrected yet. That's why there's a second resurrection at the end of the thousand years. Yeah, this is how we are a blessing and a light to the nations. Yes. Everybody kind of glazes over the fact that there's nations that will identify as their own individual nations. We just outside. read about it in that Psalm 87. Yes, outside of the city. Now they'll all be under the rule of the one nation under God, Israel. But they're going to be nations, and that's how that's how they get blessed for a thousand years. You know, otherwise, you know, everyone who comes into faith in Christ becomes part of Israel. So, as far as blessing the nations and being a light to nations, um, we can't really apply any of that in a real practical way. Really, if everyone just immediately comes to Christ and then they take part in the first resurrection, and then boom, the kingdom's here. And then all the people who were in Christ are blessed and are a light unto themselves. But being a light to the nations is what that thousand year reign is really about. So after the thousand year reign, the resurrected glorified saints living inside the Jerusalem 
they're not going to die. They don't need resurrection anymore. They live forever. But the mortals who now have participated in covenant behavior have the promise of the covenant to look forward to. Their resurrection comes up at the end of the thousand years, a millennial reign, as well as all the wicked people get resurrected back to a regular body and stand judgment for Yeshua. They're thrown in the lake of fire and destroyed forever. So at that point, after the end of the thousand years, you're going to have all the resurrected saints from the first resurrection, all the resurrected saints from the millennial reign who lived and died, and they're going to live forever. And then everyone who refuses to abide according to the, the laws of God, which is the behavior of Yahweh, the behavior of his kingdom, they're thrown in the lake of fire, extinguished from existence. So therefore the earth, the kingdom, and all the heavens above, the layers of, of heaven above, all do the behavior of God. All of it, all the time, forever. It's going to be beautiful. And actually, this is mentioned, I believe it's in Jubilees 19. I can't remember the exact verse right now. I think it's in Jubilees 19 where it talks about the renewal of the firmament and how the entire earth will become the, the Lord's after this time period. So it's it's more than just that the millennial reign is a is a a last ditch moment of grace for humanity for them to see the living example of yeah. what they can inherit and have. <clears throat> and it's like a huge show of mercy because they, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, yeah. right? It's a huge show of mercy yeah. for them. Um, this is why Yeshua told us in the here and now before the kingdom comes, it's more blessed that you believe and don't see, right? Because, you know, they're, they're going to be blessed too. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's easy for them because they're going to see yeah. the city. They're going to see the resurrected saints. They're going to see Yeshua. They're going to see that it's all real. They're going to see the firmament. They're not going to think they live on a ball in space. They're going to see it's all real. The enemy's locked up. Unclean spirits are destroyed. Satan's locked away. They're not going to have the antagonist in the same way that we do today. So it's, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Yeah. They're going to, it'll be very easy for them to choose what's right. So therefore, at the, there's a, it's a wonderful moment for all these nations to flourish in great numbers. They have great health care, wonderful food, no lack, no disease, no famine, no starvation, no war. And then the true wisdom of God to learn from and grow their families, their lives, their, their communities. It's going to be amazing. The, the population growth outside the city is going to be exponential. This is why I did last year in 2021, I did my presentation and take on the world. I called it uh, Unstoppable Melchizedeks, right? Because this is what we are being trained to be a part of this priesthood that then interacts within that thousand years and teaches all the nations how to abide according to the behavior of Jesus Christ. So they can too inherit the kingdom themselves. Then the entire earth will follow uh, the ways of Yahweh. And so we, you know, we all get, we all get to live according to the same standard and the same idea of love. And we all get to go see the father and the son. And we don't have to worry about the antagonist or, or corruption or the sting of death. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's called the good news of the kingdom of God. It's what Yeshua preached. It's what the psalmist preached. It's what Isaiah preached. It's the entire story of the Bible. Yes, Yeshua's life, death, and resurrection is a part of that. It's how it's one of the steps he took to get to the end result. And so we're, we're happy to proclaim it as often as we can on this channel. Amen. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. Um, thank you guys for the super chats and for everyone that supports us on Patreon. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more people here than the beginning. So I'll just mention, check the description. We have a fundraiser in there that we're shouting two, out. Two of them. Please. Two fundraisers that yeah. we're shouting out. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't even mention Loretta. They're both in there. Yeah. <laughs> They're both down there. Uh, just two two families in the body that were helping get more eyes on their fundraisers. So that's right. Check those out. And wise words from Tracy: repeating our Messiah, seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his right behavior and all these other worries of life will be added unto you guys. Go check it out. Matthew 6, 33. Well, the worries won't be added unto you. <laughs> no, go check it out. Matthew 6, yeah. 33. All the things that are mentioned as worries, people yeah. wearing after clothes, food, status, they're all added to you. If you seek first the kingdom of God and the behavior of the kingdom of God, which is the righteousness of the kingdom of God. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Hope you have a good. Uh, hope you had a good Shabbat. If it's already over, yeah. some people in Australia said they're already on Sunday. So it's, oh yeah, yeah, it's back up to thirty-five degrees here. So we're gonna. It was negative forty. Put our shorts on and head out to the P A R K. Thank you guys. <laughs> Appreciate you. Guys. you. We'll see you next time. Have a good week.